1: and to take us through where private equity and the world of alternative investing more broadly is today, welcome to who knows it terribly well. He is Tony James. He is the founder and chair of Jefferson River Capital and, of course, for years was president and COO of Blackstone. Tony, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure, David. So, this has grown rather dramatically over the time you've watched it and participated in it. It's like a $12 trillion business today. It didn't start out that way in the 80s. So, what gave rise to that? Why, why did it have such an advantage over other ways of investing?
2: Well, as you point out, it it started about 50 years ago, so there's something uh, pr- appropriate for now dealing with that. It started as a bit of a curiosity industry. It was prim- prim- primarily dominated by investment bankers. They perceived that they were, the public markets were were not what they are today. There were, there were companies that were under-managed, asset-heavy, kind of sleepy, and, and an investment banker would come in there, use the company's own assets to buy itself, spin off some assets, cut some costs, and then flip it out again and make some good returns that pulled in more capital of course and and after a while that became more competitive so that the private equity industry then needed to actually not only have the transactional skills but they needed to be investors too they needed to perceive value and where the company's going and is it will it be a good company and will it have will I be able to exit it at a good value and so that expanded a lot the opportunity set but again the success of that pulled in more capital and so today it's evolved to where Private equity really needs to be operational as well. You still need the transaction skills. You still need to be an investor, but now you need to be able to intervene in the company's fortunes and create value. So, at Blackstone, we we figured we, we could add without, by our own intervention 5 to 10 percent on average of a company's EBITDA just by things like procurement, redesigning the healthcare uh, plans, providing AI and data science, um, lean manufacturing, pricing, marketing, all of those things. And we could have world leading experts in that. Because we can, we can deploy them, and frankly, deploy their cost over 200 or so portfolio companies, medium and small companies, which are the focus of private equity, can't really afford to have world-class experts in all these, uh, all these um, specialty areas. So, a private equity firm is very well uh, positioned to create the value, and um, that's had some other implications. In the early days, the the kind of buy a company that's that's asset heavy, sell off some assets. You made all your money like in the first year or so. You cut some costs, you sold off some assets, and then you flipped it. Now, we're trying to create great companies. We're trying to grow them. And transforming a company takes a number of years. And you sow the seeds, but they don't blossom right away. So private equity has become kind of much, much more of a long-term holder and builder of companies. And I would, wouldn't be surprised if in the early days of the industry, private equity actually cost jobs. But today, there's absolutely no doubt about it that it's a job creator. And um, so I, I think the industry's evolved to a better place. I, I, I kind of view, I mean, the, the gains of private equity are always going to pensioners. But now I view the private equity itself as a force for good in the economy to a much greater degree than it was way back when. Does that require more patience on the, on the part of
1: people who are giving the money to invest? I mean, if you're holding the company a lot longer time to get those operational benefits. And, and is there that patience? And by the way, what about the liquidity issue? One of the issues on private equity has always been, I can't pull my money out when I want to.
2: Right. Right, it does definitely require more patience, but most investors now actually want longer holding periods because because you get richer you get richer compounding something at twelve percent for twenty years than you do compounding it at twenty percent for five years. So the IRR that people talk about the compounding. That's only one aspect of it. So, a lot of investors, they want that money out, they want that money working for them over a long period of time, and they're, they're content with, with longer holding periods. We can get into different investor classes, but there are other ways you can get liquid if you really need it. Well,
1: I was going to ask about the secondary. Uh, there's a secondary right. market now, as I understand it. So, actually, right. you
2: can get your money out through a secondary market, as I understand it. Explain that. Sure. Well, this $12 trillion that's mushroomed out there, uh, inevitably a certain number of investors want to get their money out and not necessarily for, uh, because assets not performing for them. Private equity has been the best performing asset class for most institutions. Uh, and, and just as a sidelight, one of the ironies of that is uh, if an institution has an asset allocation model, so 20% in private equity, 20, 40% in public equity, 40% in debt, let's just say, and private equity outperforms, what happens is that all of a sudden they have more than 20% in private equity, right, and so now they need to sell down private equity. So it's, it's got a kind of a, <laughs> a counterintuitive their success means they need to be net sellers, <laughs> uh, which is kind of odd, but that's the way, that's the way it works. So, but 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 reallocating rebalancing the portfolio strategy changes with, with 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 corporate pension funds when they become fully funded, they then want to go out of risk assets and just uh, essentially lock in the uh, f- um, with double a credit stuff uh, the liabilities so defease the liabilities uh, if you 're a retail investor, you have life changes, you get divorced, you have estate planning so all those reasons there are sellers of uh, l p interest and the and and this business secondaries. as as ballooned as the primaries have. It's still lagging, but to to provide that liquidity. Tony, you just mentioned retail investors.
1: I think if you go back 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought of retail investors in the same sentence with private equity. How has that changed? To what extent are retail investors coming in, and what is the profile of those retail investors
2: in general? Well, um, it started off as very high net worth investors. There are almost many institutions in a way. But now it's down to the mom and pop. And the industry has evolved to create products that are more and more appropriate for smaller investors. And retail investors have the same need for returns that institutions do. Um, and. You know, we've essentially had a 40-year downtrend in interest rates, but that's pulled the returns across all asset classes down. So the need for added returns becomes more and more acute. At the same time, institutions realized, particularly the first the first were the endowments of the universities. They were the most sophisticated, David Swenson, and so on and so forth. Then there were the pensions, and then and now to the, to the high net worth individuals. Uh, endowments have about 50% or, of their endowments in private assets. Pension funds about 25. Retail investors, less than five. Mm. So they still have a ways to go. And, and what the institutions realized is, I don't need all that liquidity. I'm never going to need to raise to, 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 liquidate everything overnight. And I think increasingly high net worth institute individuals are realizing the same thing. Um, if you have assets financial, if you own your home and you say you're lucky enough to have a second home and you have financial assets, multiples of annual spending, do you really need to be able to liquidate everything tomorrow? Because it has a real cost. It has a real cost in lower return. And so it, it also has a cost because it's tempting because Individuals tend to do the wrong thing. They get worried when the markets are collapsing. That's probably the time they should buy, but they end up selling. And they get ebullient when they see everyone making a lot of money and they throw themselves in the market. That's probably the time they shouldn't do that. So it's got a counterintuitive negative, too. So, yeah, it, it's, it, the, the, sort of the new frontier is retail investors, and the big new frontier is, is, uh, is um, uh, not the ultra-high net worth, but the, the mass market. And that's growing? Very much, yeah. Okay,
1: Tony, really great to have you with us on Wall Street. We really appreciate it. That's Tony James of Jefferson River Capital.